So, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Lyrical Ones. I am your on-curring, reoccurring, ongoing host, Cineo, and we have our co-host as well. We have Al Fluent. We also have June. Let's see if I can get this right. Oh, I had it right over there, right over there. I'm backwards, June. And we have a special guest tonight, um, Chris Scott. See, there we go. You got the arrow game down. So, um, Al Fluent, how are you doing tonight? How how are you doing on this wonderful Wednesday as we record this evening? Um, please give me some insight. Excellent. Like, I feel like, you know, things started, you know, with the Olympics, you know, we'll start, we'll get started back with uh, Muhammad Ali, um, voices in his opinion. I love my, one of my favorite quotes from Muhammad Ali is, uh, uh, I became a champion because I had something to say. Um, and so I, I think about that as a as a, um, a direction in anything that I do um, that I being black and you have when you have to be triple good um, in America, uh, just be great so people will listen. Yes, you are great. We know that. And you definitely have more than enough to say. And that's why I appreciate you. June, how are you feeling on this night, on this August 26th night? Thank you so much for asking, Sidio. Oh, I'm feeling so nice. Everything is great. Today's been a wonderful day, you know. Uh, <laughs> back in session, something that I've noticed that, uh, you know, a lot more Zoom rooms are taking place. Zoom classrooms are going on, Zoom homerooms, so on and so forth. So as a, as a former educator, uh, that's what's been on my mind. And uh, as someone who's going back to school in such a turbulent time or interesting time, I should say, hey, I'm just going with the flow. Okay, okay. And before we get into the deep, deep dive, Chris Scott, how are you doing tonight? Hey, uh, I, I'm doing like we all are probably. Uh, there's good and there's crazy and there's bad and there's stressful. Um uh, I'm a big A's fan and the A's one, so at least there's that nice distraction of something good. Um, but yeah, chilling. Kids are asleep, so get to have some freedom for a little bit. Thanks okay. for having me. No, thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your company. I appreciate you. Um, Thanks for being you here. Know, yeah. yeah. Um, just to ask myself, I am I'm out of pocket and I'm I'm all the way lost. I'm all the way lost in the sauce. I'm all the way. Uh, if anybody's seen my, my Twitter feed, they know where my head is at. Um, my head is definitely right now proactive in change. Um, me maintaining some level of positivity, uh, not so much. Um, but proactiveness, definitely. I am here to, to be responsible, be mindful of that. But yo, uh, I don't know. So Welcome with, to another episode, Sinia. Welcome, welcome to another episode. What number is this, y'all? What I'm, number are we at? What's the consensus? I, are we on 13? Are we on 13? Or is that is that the thing? Somebody put it in the chat for us. Those that know who's keeping count at home. Um, those that don't, um, there's a secret feed going yeah. on all the time. So. 13. 13. Okay, there we I go. Got, so I got it right because I was saying something else last week, I think. It's all good. We here. You know what I'm saying? We hold each other accountable. 
So um, so with that, anybody got anything they want to, you know, before we move on? Because I'm, you know, I want to dive deep into, into what Chris Scott is doing, who he is and what, you know, brings him to the table. But is there anything anybody wants to say before we jump start this thing off? I kind of want to hear more, Senio. Like, what's up, man? What's going on? Well, Chris Scott, got to turn things. the tables. Thank you he, for he got some things. He so, so, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, for All right, sure. here we go. Here we go. So, you know, first, before before I, I go on, let's let's have a moment of silence for Jacob Blake. Um, everybody, let's just, you know, take a moment to reflect. So with that moment, with that moment, um, being in reflection of, of Jacob Blake, uh, a lot has, you know, manifested within myself out of the circumstances of the situation and the fallout from that tragic event. Um, it has been a very emotionally trying time, um, just in the sense of, you know, having to go to work now, you know, I work in the community, I work alongside, you know, SFUSD and many different organizations, and SFUSD being San Francisco's Unified School District, for those that don't know, um, you know, I work alongside a high school that deals with a population that they would consider um, as being, you know, kind of the non-successful students of the traditional scope of, of kind of school, right, of academia. And so it's considered a continuation school when I don't agree with the terminologies, I don't agree with the energy that, that surrounds the school and kind of how this narrative is built. But in light of what's happened, it then again highlights how oppressive certain systems are, right? How power dynamics are very unfortunate in the way they show up and how they um, push a, a, what I call a false narrative on people of color and people who, you know, in varying degrees of need and support. And so, you know, me being at service to the community and me working with an organization that, you know, has a predominantly kind of white base it's a thing where you know we are at service to a lot of communities of color and there's always conversations around success and how do we determine and measure and we don't critically critique and scrutinize what are these tools we're using and how are we changing the narrative of what success looks like and how are we changing the practice of how we do this work so we don't find ourselves falling into the traps of these oppressive dynamics, these power structures that I see as antiquated and outdated. And, you know, I understand there's a responsibility, but there's a responsibility to myself, to my community, to my people of the things that I'm hearing constantly. You know, I got friends that work at various companies in various places and they they're often the outlier or they're often the, the kind of token person in their position because they've been able to climb up the ladder and now they're kind of held to a different standard but at the same time as soon as something like this happens that's the first voice they want to hear and you know i've said it many times before on the podcast knowing your capacity right i make myself available to that but not everyone makes themselves available to that and having that boundary and that acceptance of the boundary between all of our allies between all of our colleagues and between everyone who may seek right that 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 brown approval that black approval right that color approval to be like i want to hear your voice because that validates what i'm getting ready to do next and it's a lot of times 
you know, we don't, you know, people don't have to say how they feel. They, they still figuring out how they feel. They're in the process of feeling right. Like, you know, when I lost my mom, the last thing I wanted to do was talk about how I felt. And this is another loss to someone's family. This is another loss to our community as a whole, as people. And some will feel it differently than others. Some will process it differently. Me, I make myself readily available. And, you know, my organization at times don't realize or doesn't understand that. And then there's other people who they just want to be detached and they want to cut themselves off from it for a bit. Right. And they need time to process and figure out what is their best course of action. And so, you know, given everything that's going on to me, this is, you know, as as my one of my colleagues, my close colleagues has said, this is a continuous nightmare. Right. Like I wake up, I look at the news and now I'm, you know, kind of just lost in what is going on. I'm, I'm giving more towards something that is heart wrenching and problematic. And, you know, to make matters worse this morning, you know, I see what happened last night and it's now kind of the coin has flipped in a way where, you know, I'm looking at this imagery and to kind of paint the picture of the imagery is a 17 year old young white man, young kid with a gun. And, you know, I see him shoot somebody and he runs towards the police and they're like, you know, he's saying he got he shot somebody and then the police just go and leave him. And that's it. And I was like, this is such a profound moment and such a profound image to witness what's transpired. I see him being chased. He falls, he shoots, and then he goes towards the police as an act of safety. And then he's able to go home, you know, as then I find out in the story, he's able to go home and, you know, the matter is dealt with at a later time when the whole reason why this situation happened was because of someone trying to go back into their vehicle with no weapon. And they just so happen to be a person of color. And it's like the dynamics, the contrast, the way that the, the pillars are, it's like, we talking about what? what are we doing? You want me to do what for work? You want me to sit and listen to another what? You want me to tell you, define, and have you explain what? When I'm the one that has been successful in my role, and I'm telling you what I want and what I need, and it's not even being met, and now I have to sit through another series of unfortunate events taking place outside of the dy dynamics of work, and you you didn't want to acknowledge it this time around, right? When it was George Floyd, let's acknowledge it together. Now it's happened again. And it's kind of like, well, we did it back then. So we technically don't really have to do it right now. And it's like, no, you, you, you told me you want to make a difference. Then I'm going to hold you accountable to being consistent in that difference and being consistent in how you are taking care of your employees. How are you engaging with them? How are you creating dialogue? How are you creating space for safety? So, you know, for me, right now i'm like i'm charged up right like i'm i'm i have so much i want to do and it doesn't matter about what your outcomes are what your deliverables are or what your measurements of success because this is a reoccurring issue that manifests itself in so many different ways whether it's an email where there's passive kind of demeaning or disrespectful you know banter regarding a student which is something that happened in the midst of all this that i'm like processing and understanding what's the most appropriate course of action to deal with this and address it. But these are all things that surround. And to me, I, I my tolerance level to be, you know, like a lot of my colleagues say, you know, we just got to put our head down and just, you know, do what we do. Cause they don't, they don't care about us. And I'm like, I, 
I'm at a point where I got to make them care. I'm at a point where every time we say, well, they just don't get it. I got to make them get it right. I'm taking that. I'm not saying everybody has to have that approach, but I'm saying for me to exist in this community, whether it's my job or this organization, you're going to see me, you're going to hear me. And to some degree, we're going to engage on how I feel being here, right? Like uh, the imagery that often comes to mind for me is anybody remembers the first episode of the boondocks when Huey is at the, at the, at the picnic at the cookout and he goes around and he's telling people, you know, Ronald Reagan is the devil. And he's like, you know, all these different elements of truth and the people in the, you know, at the, 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 the picnic are just like clapping their hands. And say, he's so articulate and he's so well-spoken. And I'm like, this is kind of my life magnified in an animated form. I felt like Huey many times trying to speak to many truths and it's easy to just discount it and, and minimize it in the scope of how it's being said and how it's being delivered and not the actual truth and doing something with it to be proactive and change for the, for the, you know, for positive sake. Right. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So when I jump in the screen and I'm looking, you know, for those that only hear the audio version, I keep going deep into the camera and the mic is nowhere near the, the you know, the focus point of the camera. So, you know, when you hear those moments of silence where I'm just abruptly just. There is a video version that accompanies this audio dialogue where you can actually see the actions of what I'm doing. So, Chris Scott, thank you very much for asking me that question. Um, you know, I appreciate that. It's random. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm in your corner. Like all of it some of it i obviously can't understand but some of it uh i like i i saw those things i woke up this morning and went on twitter because i'm dumb and i don't have good boundaries and i jump on my phone and uh i saw all that footage and put it together and like it's like oh my gosh like it it's it's all compounding right it's like they're not this isn't disconnected from george floyd and this isn't disconnected from 2016 and like but in some ways, this one feels worse because the, the the contrasting image that you described, that like man unarmed shot seven times, kid walking around like he's Captain America, like like first of all, what the hell? Like what world do we live in when seventeen year olds can just assume legal authority and just walk around with assault rifles? Like you all gave me permission to cuss three times. That is fucked up. Like, what the hell? Like, what, what is that? And uh, yeah, and the fact that he, I saw that same same video as you're describing it, like, I, I mean, I think we probably all process it from our own perspective and all that. And so, but thinking like, okay, I get what he's doing. He's running to the cops. But the fact that he just shot people, three people, and they just like walk past him. Like they drive past him and it's nothing. And uh, yeah, the hard thing, like, it's hard to have grace in those moments. Like, I just want to like be angry. Um, but I, I'm reminded of that over the process. I've learned the grace piece, but yeah, thank you for sharing. I'm sorry. Even, even the secondary piece you were talking about, like now having to reflect all this to your organization, to your workplace based on who you are and what they assume of you and them focusing on the, how you're saying it and not what you're saying or what you as a human are going through. Gosh, that sucks. So thanks for sharing. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, just to kind of even deep, deep, just give a little bit more of a gem, you know, there's a video prior to the events that took place where he's 
interacting with, you know, law enforcement and law enforcement are acknowledging him by saying, thank you for doing this job. And do you want some water? And so, you know, it, it, it doesn't get better in light of what's happening. It's only painting a picture that, you know, really shows the differences and kind of the, the worlds that we live in. Right. And so, you know, that, that goes into, you know, a lot of injustices that we see. Oh, June, June, come on. Okay. Thank you. Um, I don't think it's painting a picture. This is media. It's staying. It's saying something. What is it staying, stating? Um, but before we get into that, um, I want to thank uh, Chris Scott. Thank you so much for what you said. Um, and and Sineo, thank you for for sharing. Um, I, I heard a little bit about um, recent events um, that that have gotten national attention. Um, but if I may, um, here in LA, we've been protesting every day. There's been a protest. Um, there was a protest for um, the fallen Anthony McLean. If if we don't mind taking um, a moment of reverence for his life that was lost in Pasadena. Thank you. And also, um, I went to a protest where the family was there and had a chance to share peace on, on their behalf. But there was also a secondary family, not a secondary, another family who had also had a loss, um, Eric Rivera. And he was fallen as well, if you don't mind taking a moment of silence for, for Eric Rivera. Thank you. And his mother, Valerie had said something so key. She said, they took my son, but they gave me power. So uh, that was um, a chant that rung throughout that protest that they gave her what power. Um, I just wanted to share that's what's going on right now in, in LA um, amongst everything else. So for forgive me for um, battling my humanism because right now it's a heart issue um, if I may share, when you're a part of the black and brown community, you don't have the capacity, you don't have the excuse to say, oh, that happened last week, oh, that happened last year. You have, your your heart is constantly sore and it's ripped open with the reality that it may be you next time. Uh, those are my thoughts. No, thank you, I'm morbid, but if there's ever a time to express and to be real and, and to be transparent, now's the time. Now's the time to speak up. Now's the time to to be blunt, to be to be brave with your words and with your actions. So I just want to encourage everyone to do the same. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, it's this it's really the silence that's morbid, not talking about it. Um it's the lives and the souls that are silenced. Um, it's the, it's the you know voter suppression. It's the, you know, the lack of food safety, food deserts. It's the the lack of housing that we see in metropolitan cities. Um, uh, it's the the impact that a pandemic is having on the black and brown community. Um, on top of like navigating for survival, just in traffic. Um, like like Anthony McLean is like there's video evidence of him running away from the police um, and 
when you talk about Jacob Blake and him being paralyzed and you know from the waist down and the fact that one that he's alive the fact that he wasn't actually arrested um and now the fight is is different i think um i think it continues to evolve i think the root is the same with the, the what we're fighting is this the same um but the the voices um are are not what's morbid it's the um it's the complacency you know of still a young country who was built um you know on deplorable morals and um oppression and the de- uh debased dehum- dehumanization of uh people and you know i think what's happening in uh in media what's happening in entertainment where we have now uh entertainers um athletes professional athletes withholding work right they're not they're not boycotting they're not you know not buying something um right they're on strike and right the last time it happened in the in the nba was you know 1950 um where bill russell and a handful of celtics you know did the same thing withheld work um and you know today being you know four years since colin kaepernick you know first took a knee um but in 1996 um Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, um, wait, Mahmoud, yeah, Abdul Abdul um, Rauf. He um, he was an NBA player, and he was the first NBA player to take a knee or not stand actually during the um, the national anthem in uh, in the '90s, and he was blackballed for it and um, only played in the league nine uh, nine years. He's now you know playing in uh, Ice Cube's uh, the Big Three league so he's still capable um of playing basketball still loves the game um but it's interesting right that he's not being interviewed it's interesting that you know anthony mcclain's murder is not um national news um and like we know a whole bunch of people um probably you know between the four of us you know who who were murdered and you know they're they're um their lives being taken is not, you know, national news. And, you know, where we know that Native peoples and um, trans peoples are, you know, the the most endangered minorities in America. Um, and they're, they're almost voiceless. Um, they're left out, looked over, and we have to do all the talking. Um, until their stories are heard um and we have to continue to lift those those folks up and we have to continue to be um allies and you know not make names for ourselves and not um build ourselves up um which you know we see with some journalists uh you know they they do what they can to fundraise and you know none of the money gets where it needs to go um and you know every you know, every journalist's job is to cover the story, you know, but their tone and their and their methods for doing so um, 
are varied and you know they live on a spectrum of morality and you know i think it's you know as we are you know not journalists but you know creatives who try to make sense of this world um i think that's what we try to create you know is um try to try to create love you know from the pain that we see try to create um hope um from the darkness you know try to try to point out the stars that exist you know in the darkest nights we have um you know it's interesting that we're you know in the space now where we get to um look to those who are speaking their truths and you know their their mics are not loud enough um their audio is is not you know good enough for the status quo and so you know we have to do our part part um uh as cisgender you know folks we need to um continue to to speak and then you know invite others because it's not just the black man that's endangered um i think we're you know we're all in danger of um losing our loved ones you know at any moment you know on any street on any on-ramp um on any off-ramp uh any any stoplight you know you know <laughs> you don't even have to be in a car like you can just be home you know and and not make it to work you know because of no knock warrants like it's uh it's out of control but it's the same america you know that we've lived in this whole time and the same way that you know america you know doesn't teach um about finances in in its educational system right it also doesn't teach about you know um triumph for people of color right it talks more about struggle um for people of color in history and you know um every everything that's covered in history everything that we use as far as tools go has um their their origin is kind of cut off to as to not give credit um you know paths it's uh european acclamation um and so like we have to we have to fight for our history we have to you know we have to learn our history we have to educate ourselves you know not just on what's happening now and you know this these current events but also you know learning of of methods learning of ways that um the people before us you know made change to get us this far um because we have to be creative you know in our in our next steps we have to be creative uh, in our alliances, we have to be creative in our organization, in our mobilization, and we have to be creative um, in our shrewdness and in our in our cleverness, because the oppression is embedded, the um, the trauma is embedded, the um, the uh, the racism is insidious in you know in its in institution and in each institution, and we have to you know continue to listen to each other um i think that's what i appreciate most about you know all of us being here today this evening is um you know opportunity for us to listen um because the the american experience is is definitely varied um 
and there's there's not one way to navigate you know all this stuff in america and so i'm glad that we get to hear from all of you guys today right on right on thank you for that thank you for that that is super necessary um kind of you know to, to kind of cascade or ice skate through it right um brings me to chris scott so chris scott why don't you let people know what has brought you to the table of lyrical ones today um well thank you all for sharing that and uh i feel like we get like there, there's on, on these subjects we could keep going forever and um thanks for letting me listen and be a part of it and i love you guys uh as best i can as fellow people humans and even i, I love alex your quote or your reference to the dr king quote like seeing the the stars in the darkness seeing the stars in the night like the light there's a lot of times i want to give up on america or like give up on our community um but there's so much light there's so much hope and promise and i think we're all trying to build to that and it's not a zero-sum game where it's like this side or that side. It's all of us together. Um, so, yeah, thanks. Uh, I, so I've been a big fan of LO for a while. Uh, as, uh, as somebody on the peripheries, um, I went to some, back in the day, some Undivided shows. My entry is uh, through OD, Craig Stewart II, who is my co-pastor at Oak Life Church. And, uh, and so we became friends 2014. 2013 around that time we were starting this community in oakland um thinking through a christian community with these values underneath it of inclusion of justice of uh, rethinking things from the ground up and greg was a part of that from the beginning and uh really has helped it wouldn't be oak life wouldn't exist without greg um pastor greg <laughs> and so uh through greg um i got introduced to uh Christian Cross and um, some of you and uh, just been friends over the years. Like the, the best gift of all this is like friendships. Like who cares about institutional structures we develop or whatever. It's like, I get to meet some amazing humans. And this is a gift. Like that's what life's about. Um, so uh, yeah, that's kind of the introduction. I, I uh, um, have been a fan and like stoked on what's all going on. Um, I wish I was more talented. I, I do consider myself an armchair poet um, but I uh, don't have bars in the hip-hop sense, though I'm a fan. Um, but I will claim that uh, at Greg's bachelor party, we recorded a, a song together. That was like his request, and I did the, the guitar for it. So um, I don't know if that grafts me into the community in some sorts artistically. But Bars uh, manifest themselves in many ways. Exactly, oh, exactly, exactly. Bars exist before the words are put down. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's good. I appreciate it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll receive yeah, no. it. <laughs> like if you if you write at any point words that that you are not quoting, then you are uh, an artist. Yeah, but I see what some of you guys do and some of you all do, and uh, it's beautiful. And uh, I'm yeah, I'm I'm a different level. I mean, but you know, it's all, it. it's all, it's all like we all have a different role, right? Like your finger does a different thing than your foot does, right? But it's still a part of the body, and yeah. that doesn't undermine the importance of it. It just, it's just different. And I think that how much, how much your bars is, right? Like it ain't just what you rap. Like 
bars for those that remember is how you can move in the car how you move the car your handles of the car having bars so in this sense i mean i mean how much bars can you have when you decide to start your own church i mean take me through that process you say that you that's a you know it's it's a it's can't gloss over that what brought you to that crossroads where you're like okay it's time for me to kind of build my own place of worship so take me from the prior and then take me to the action. All right, I'll try. I mean, it, the probably it's like telling the story of lyrical opposition. Like it, it's a it's it's an endless story with lots of different perspectives. Um, but the the summarized version is um, we. So I, I'm a I consider myself a Christian, um, and but didn't grow up in, in the church, and so didn't have a lot of the baggage and like some of the conservative um, ideology and had lots of friends outside the church and was always like, Hey, my, like, I want to talk about this stuff with like my friends who are gay or who like aren't straight white dudes, like who fit this certain mold or whatever, or like maybe they, they just, they wouldn't go to a church for some reason. Um, and I had those friends like in high school, I was like in a band and we played Berkeley and Oakland, San Francisco all the time and had this community um, of artists in a sense. And so like, that was where my heart was, was with those sorts of folks. And it, it just, uh, the, the type of music was punk rock. And so the, the, um, and this is true of a lot of artist communities, like what, what, uh, catapults people into creativity is some sort of marginalization. Punk rock is like this fringe, you know, kind of prophetic art, like rock and roll, uh, segment where there's a critique back at culture from a lot of, a lot of people who have been like, um, whether they were bullied in high school or they just didn't fit in or they didn't want to do the status quo and the rat race and all that. And so a, a lot of my formation as like a young person came in that scene, which the church told me was like demonic, but it actually was like, I learned life. I learned, I made deep friends. Like sure there were some things that were unhealthy. Um, but at the same time, like these are beautiful people that like are open to spiritual conversations. They're not going to your church because you take one look at them and like be like, nah, like who are these people? Like clean up before you come in. Um, so I think that heart underneath it was that sort of sentiment of like, what would it look like to create a space for some of our friends? Um, and early on, there were a handful of us who had that conversation from the beginning. It was very decentralized. It wasn't like, me, um, I, I, I like really don't like a lot of Christian leadership discussions. I don't like um, a lot of the typical pastor um, imagery, like the, the CEO business leader has all the answers, like leads the flock, has a flock, and even that language, right? You see like the patriarchal like power dynamic. Um, yeah, so for me, I, there, had, there was some like pushback against that vibe. And, uh, and so it was very community led. And so a few of us started gathering in our apartment and talking about it, trying to like be a part of our broader community, serve our city as best we could. And uh, Greg was part of that, um, who is also a founding member of, I think at the time, Lyrical Opposition was just getting started. And so we just talked through like, what would it look like to start something for the people we love here um, that would include people who have been marginalized or wouldn't normally fit in. And so we did that for about a year and about 20 people kind of started hanging with us. And then we started doing like a public gathering um, and it's kind of grown ever since that was like back in 2014. Um, and so we're, we're in Oakland, California, which 
as you all know, like the Bay Area in general, Oakland, I think in specific, is just a dynamic city that's like incredibly diverse. It sits at the intersection of every social conversation we're having as like a country from race to Paul, like the environment to class to gentrification, all of it. And so um, homelessness. So as a church, how do we like hold our faith in the midst of all those things? Um, and so that's formed who we are. And uh, that's kind of the story. So we started back in 2014 and I've kind of grown organically um, through relationships gradually over time. And it's been fun. There's been so many stories of healing, so many folks who have been like kicked out of church or were um, marginalized in some way because of who they were, whether it was they're a woman who wants to like speak at church or they're like a person of color in a largely suburban white context or they're a part of the LGBT plus community. Um, and so many of those stories have like, folks have found some sort of home and safety and healing. And that's like a gift to me, like that somehow this community offers healing and uh, hope and a second second chance at spiritual life and connection to the divine. That's okay. that, that, that was me a couple minutes. That was me trying to summarize. That's my best summary I can do. Not bad. I mean, there's more to it <laughs> well, than that, back. though. You know, it's it's yeah, like, sure. yeah, you know, it's like, uh, like, when did you realize that that, you know, kind of the fundamental cookie cutter Christian archetype wasn't for you? Like, when did you come to that realization that, like, my discovery relationship and exploration of spirituality and God isn't limited to what you presented me with. It's beyond. Like, when did you come to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I cut my teeth doing ministry, like doing youth ministry. I think a lot of people get into like pastoral work, start working because they start young and start working with um, teenagers or youth. And I think the conversation is the rawness that kids like bring to stuff. Like they got no baggage. They're just asking a question like, um, so I think that season, like, for instance, the second church I worked at when I was in seminary was a church that didn't allow women in ministry, like to, to be officially pastors. Um, and that's a pretty common position, actually, like amongst American Christians, global Christians. And there was like a 13-year-old girl who was like, I think I want to be a pastor. And I remember their official church stance was like, nope, sorry, you can't. You don't got the right genitals. Like, sorry, that's it. <laughs> and, uh, and me thinking like, Okay, this is the second time I'm gonna cuss on the episode. That's fucked up. Like biblically, so, so then I had to go back to like uh, my own interpretation of our tradition, the text, and all that, and start to see like, oh, these interpretations are not like um, they're so rigid and they're not accurate. And there's other ways to look at these things. So I would say like some of those early moments, like when I start to actually be asked the question and have to ask the questions. Um, so that's my like early twenties maybe. Um, and so from then on, it was like, all right, I, I got a lot of issues with the church. Like, I love it. The church like gave me my best friends, my wife, like my sense of like love and identity and like meaning and purpose, all these like amazing things that are so valuable and a connection yeah, to, to God. Um, but man, we, we got a lot of stuff wrong too. So um, I think that started back then. So where where were you where you where do you come from? Like where did you grow up? And then uh -huh. kind of what was what was that dynamics like growing up where you were? 
Um, yeah, I grew up here in the Bay Area, East Bay, mostly like a suburban context in the Tri-Valley. Um, and that's like where I went to high school. Um, my family's like deeply rooted in the Bay Area. Like it goes some like aunts and uncles, grandparents, all that stuff, like Richmond. Actually, my mom's side of the family, like they settled in it's an Irish uh, immigrant family that settled in San Francisco. Hey. And uh, there's like stories of like, um, yeah, we have down in Colma where there's more dead people than living people. We've got right. like a whole plot of land um, or it's pretty much full from folks. But like there's like stories Shout of out to uh, Colma. Yeah, it's a cool town. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so here in the Bay Area, uh, mostly in a more suburban context, but like even that in the Bay Area is different than like other places because it is just more diverse. Like friends from all different backgrounds, all different parts of the world, all that. Um, yeah. So I most, I lived in the area for, with the exception of a few different places, but this has been home and we've been in Oakland for seven years, eight years, something like that. Okay. Okay. And like, how yeah. was like, you know, what was, what did high school look like? Like what, like, <laughs> was this a predominantly, you know, or was it mixed? Was it diverse? Like what did high school uh -huh. look like for you? Uh, it, so my high school experience varies. So, I, so uh, the majority of my time was at a high school called Foothill High School in Pleasanton, California, which is very white. Um, th that said, it's still pleasant. Like th there's some diversity, uh, relatively speaking, but I also went to a continuation school. So part of that punk rock phase I mentioned, um, hey. I almost like got booted out of school, almost dropped out, um, was gonna like move into a van with my friends and just tour the country in our band. Uh, and so legally I had to go to, I couldn't do that cause I was like 16 or something. <laughs> so I went to a continuation school, which was basically like the last stop. It's like a County school for all the kids who were on the verge of like going to juvie basically. Um, and so that was, that was a year and a half. And that was really, um, a very different exposure. Cause you're seeing, seeing kids who have rough backgrounds and the reason they're having, they're struggling, isn't like just their fault. It's like, they don't have choices and they don't have opportunities. And so like that struggle breeds more struggle. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, so it's kind of mixed. Um, but even when I was at Foothill, I had like, I don't think I went to a single like football game, like all the traditional stuff people are connected to their school with, like I was over school. Um, we were just basically like hanging out um, in Berkeley this is me before early coming to faith. Like we're just getting drunk every weekend at punk rock shows <laughs> in Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco. Um, and that's where a lot of my high school was season one. Okay. That's my connection to my yeah. friend group and all that stuff. Yeah. Chris, I find, I find that interesting that your, your identity and your like affection for what people would consider the other, um, it's only like amplified and thinking your spirituality. Um, how did you um, decide on a stance um, for your church home in being um, a welcome place, um, a welcoming place and um, of allyship for those who are marginalized in the Bay Area in Oakland? Man, I, th I think that's as central to the Christian faith as anything. Like, if you're not like, if it doesn't move, if Christianity doesn't disrupt the center, the power structures and embrace the margins, you're reading it wrong. Like you're reading it in like a, 
American um, white picket fence kind of filter where it's like, if it's just keeping you safe and making you a good citizen, then you're not following the guy who advocated for those in the margin was crucified as a criminal by the police state. Like th that's the center of the thing. Jesus, like that's the whole thing. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know when that would have happened as a community. It was pretty clear that like we were a diverse church um, and we valued a relationship over dogma and we wanted to embrace those in the margins like from i mean we, we we're not perfect by any means like i think we have a lot of issues with class like we're, we're largely a young church most people who have like decent jobs and um we, we love the homeless community but there's not like homeless folks at our church like um houseless folks uh so I, th I think there's a lot of work to be done but i think that value is just it's baked into any honest read of or any honest connection to the life of Jesus. Like you can't, it, it, yeah, yeah. No, I dig what? it. I mean, just to shout out the Tri-Valley Tri area for those that don't know, um, you know, my relationship to the Tri-Valley area has been one of a spectator and more like, a, it, it's more like a, treated like rumors and like myths, mythos, right? Like <laughs> Black Hawk, oh, yeah. Danville, Dude. and like those areas, like, I'm going to just give you my insight, my history and my interaction. So I, San Francisco, born and raised. And there was a period of time when I had to go to Pittsburgh, California. Like I remember my friends in middle school, they thought I took a jet to class because they were like, you come from Pennsylvania. And I'm like, no, there's a Pittsburgh in California. Like it's not, it's like an hour away. So I made the transition in a period of time for high school to go to Pittsburgh high. And that's when I started to understand kind of Contra Costa, the area and the kind of outlay of certain like aspects of it. Right. And so when anybody talked about Black Hawk or Danville, it was like, that's where the rich people live. Like, that's where that's where the people with money live. Like, that's where you go where you don't know the street names and you could get lost because if you're not from there, then you probably shouldn't be there. And I remember one night I'm getting ready to go back from the city. And this is way after high school. Like I'm going to SS State and I'm still at my parents house. And I was at uh, I was at Powell Station, downtown San Francisco, right in the thick of it all. And I run into nine drunk white girls and I'm like worried because I'm like, you know, y'all good. You know, we're on bar. You could fall, hit the train track. It's a wrap. I, I fell on the train tracks. It's not fun. You don't have to get electrocuted. You could just get hurt. And so I'm talking to them and I find out they from Danville. So I end up being on bar with them for like a whole hour as I try to help them navigate Bart being drunk to me in my eyes, being vulnerable. And at the same time, like trying to ensure their safety, like they was throwing up. I was like helping them manage the whole situation, but it was a situation where on the outside, I just didn't know anything about Danville. And then I had this close interaction where we're building, we're talking. And when we're now building these bonds, I'll be me feeling like I don't want nothing to happen to y'all. But on the other side, it was like we had a real human moment. So shout out to Danville. Shout out to all them lovely people from out there. Um, I know that sometimes it's easy to get a bad rep depending on who's giving the story and kind of the narration. But it to me, oftentimes wasn't presented as a place of diversity. It wasn't place as a as a place where it was much of an open mindedness. I mean, even for me going to Pittsburgh High and having conversations and how the church 
would show up because it was like i never forget i went to see passion to christ with my girlfriend she went to a church out in pittsburgh and they ended up taking over the movie theater and having a sermon and they were dictating to us like the rules of engagement in christianity and i was like you know i come from san francisco you can't tell me that gay people going to hell i'm like what bro come on what you can't you can't tell me i've been around these people i love these people i care about these people and now you're telling me oh because this is who they are well finito la musica that's it they ain't, they ain't got nothing else to do and i'm like oh, i think there's a place for love in all places and for me to, for any of us in this context to make the determination especially after watching this movie of what really is to happen and who's to say what is i mean you're entitled to your interpretation but not so much for me and so you know it's just one of those things where uh it's easy to lose sight of the context when people don't have a clear understanding because for me when i hear you say you got into punk rock and you kind of was like i need i need to kind of break free from a lot of these different limitations and restrictions on my faith i need to be able to broaden that and grow that i think that's a beautiful thing because most people never get the opportunity to have that moment of aha like this may not be the end of the road or the journey it just may be my path is now going off in a different direction. And I think that, you know, it's important when I hear, you know, you started a church with OD. I'm like, what? Like, hold on, let's take it back. Cause people don't realize like the Tri-Valley area is an area that oftentimes you don't hear anything about. Like in the, in the most recent times, it's more so brought up in the news for people trying to bust in homes and rob something. But beyond that, you really don't hear anything about it. And so here that you're coming out of that with a, a, you know, your own perspective on what it is that you're seeking and what you're trying to help others kind of facilitate and go through, I think is a, is a very powerful thing. But given kind of the world we live in, how do you see the shift on what church really is? Because, I mean, you know, we're talking about the practice of worship and having a quote unquote house of worship and now that it looks very different i mean you know you look at the dynamics of where we're at right now we're not in we're not in each other's face in person we're in our own worlds and so i'm just interested of you know what does that look like what is what is the practice of, of faith and church look like moving forward the construction of faith and, and worship it's good i got so many funny stories about like black hawk and those spaces too <laughs> man um because it is a different world. Like for those who don't know, like so yeah, th that's the reputation of some of the Tri Valley communities, which is not. I would say it's largely like middle class communities, um, and so and, and the, well, I was a youth pastor at a church out there for a while, and uh, the kids who were the most like grounded and balanced came from Dublin and Castor Valley and Hayward, like, and yeah. I could pin it to like, oh, there's no pretentiousness, there's, there's no insulation from like struggle. There's actual diversity at the schools are going to. Like everyone's got struggles, right? Rich, poor, like we're all humans. We're all going to be struggling. But there's some, There's a gift of being around other human beings and different perspectives that shapes you that is is, is a gift. And it's a necessity thing. It's like, so I got so many stories there, man. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I could tell you stories of weddings I've done with like the, like the most wealthy person I've ever met in my life. And it actually... Uh, and I'm not one to judge because I think like I have relative privilege and wealth, like compared to the world. But like one of the areas I really struggle with in judgment is of like the excessively wealthy. Um, it like infuriates me. I, I once was at a 
Sorry, this isn't like the question you asked. No, it's all good. Take I'll it there. Quick, it's all I'll good. We can come back to that. We, I, I know where we at. <laughs> Thank you. I once did a one Saturday morning. I was with a bunch of uh, ministry kind of folks here in Oakland, like incredibly diverse group of people. We're all kind of sharing about our different work. And um, some of the folks there, you know, are, are like, it is, it's a struggle. They're like, it's, it's an all black church in a poor neighborhood. And they've been grinding for decades. And they're, we're all making like, we're all sharing and, and being trying to be together. And we're also making a pitch to this one church to resource. Um, like, hey, we need some money for this or if there's stuff out there. And some of those stories were just like, they're doing such amazing in the trenches work with people to like love people, serve people, give people food, shelter, like minister to physical and spiritual needs. And then that night I go to a fundraiser in one of those gated communities. Um, it was called Ruby Hills. And uh, and it was a fundraiser for a nonprofit that I'm connected to. And one of their like wealthy donors opened up their house. And I remember asking the um, the 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 wife, the mom of this family, like like about the house. And I was like, how many bathrooms are in this house? And she didn't know the answer. Like she she's like, yeah, I never thought about it. I was like, what is this? Like, what world do we live in? Like, you have this giant property with two koi ponds. Here we are talking about human trafficking, drinking wine. Like what this something this it, I was like raging inside. I just wanted to burn the place down, which is not, I think, necessarily what Jesus would ask me to do. But that's how I felt about it, especially in contrast to like my brother Aaron, who's doing like God's work in Richmond, California. And then I'm in here. And so I, I get all that, man. And and uh, but yeah, I like I really appreciate your ability to discern the humanness in the midst of whatever context and stereotypes we have of each other. That's that's the real stuff. Trying to find the commonality and see each other's souls underneath it all. I mean, um, it, it really is. And I mean, just to kind of touch on that, just in what you said, like you know, it's not so much a judgment as it is of the impact and how it made you feel, right? Like you weren't casting a judgment on saying they're horrible people. It was you being able to bridge the gap between those with and those without and having that absurdity of like, yo, it's people with half a toilet and you can't even equate <laughs> what it is you really have. Like, and it's not, it's not to say like there's, they're bad for it, but it is to say that what world do I live in where this exists and there's such a huge disparity. And then how do I close that gap? Cause that's really what you were there to do. You were trying to close the gap on those two ends and in the midst of trying to close the gap, you then are confronted with the other end of the spectrum where it's like, yo, you don't know how many rooms you have that have flushable toilets. For those yeah. that don't know, in the audio only version, I'm staring sarcastically into the screen when I say that because it is a thing where it's like, yo, it's a struggle in the morning for some households to have to share a bathroom, let alone if the bathroom is in working order. And then to have that, uh, you know, kind of other side of it where it's like, OK, I'm going to come to engage, build a relationship. And I ask you a simple question and you not being able to answer it has now manifested itself in a range of emotions. So I feel it, man. But, you know, as we proceed to give you what you need, um, uh, uh, what is it? Is it called ecclesiology? Is that what it's called? Like that's the the kind of the construction or how do you maintain and have or erect a place of worship and so in this new age as i said before what does that look like 
as we are in the tech only zone, you know, social distance zone. Oh man, you got an answer? I mean, <laughs> look, I got a lot of different things, but we say that for another time. You give me your thoughts, <laughs> your perspective. What is your, you know, what do you hope to see as the practice, at least for right now or moving forward? I used to hate the idea of online church. I, I, like my conviction is like, I'm all about human relationship. Like, you know, I, I've, I might become a chaplain later on, like a hospital chaplain, like in the next stage of my life. Cause um, I've, my wife's a nurse. I'm connected to some folks who are like in those settings and there's nothing like holding somebody's hand and being present to them and like just being with them. Um, and so I, I've always been like, yeah, it's all about actual relationships. Like, it's w the the um, digital church thing, like streaming it, all that stuff. That's all consumer based. Like you're just consuming a show. Church is not a TV show. It's not a flashy product. It's not like production. It's not cameras and smoke machines and laser lights. Um, and so I've always been like, no, it, we're an in person community. We're all about like you got to know people. You got to know their stories. They got to know you. Um, and so like I hated like churches that broadcast the pastor to multiple campuses. Like that just feels weird to me. It's like cultish or something. <laughs> it's getting late. I'm getting on my high horse and stuff. I don't usually get this. Uh, but uh, so I, I didn't, I, I always had an apprehension about like digital church. And now we, that's the only thing we got. Like I, I'm pretty like, um, I feel a, a conviction that we need to value safety in this moment. And church is more than a Sunday show. It's more than even a gathering on Sundays. It's like a connection that we have at a spiritual level between people. Um, it's a, and so it's almost like a mystical, it's a mystical body. Like it's a, we're in this together somehow. And so um, I think, I don't know the answer besides we have to like, just lean into one another. We have to lean into this time. Um, we have to choose, intentionally choose community, which means we got to use whatever methods we have. Um, I have a friend who is a hospital chaplain and, and this time people have to die alone because you can't really go into the hospitals. You're not really letting people, um, be exposed to one another in terms of potentially passing on COVID. And so a lot of people are saying goodbye to their loved ones through a screen. Like they're, they're being given an iPad and, like that's the only avenue you have to be with people in that moment. If, if there's a ch chance to say goodbye. And my friend who's a hospital chaplain is like trying to make that work. And it's not the same. It, it just isn't the same, but it can be something. It can be a connection to something deeper. Um, and that's the thing. So like, I've been drawn into like, how do we find that deeper connection between one another in this time? Um, and I think it's a lot of intentionality. Like our church doesn't have membership. But in this season, we're like, maybe we need some sort of commitment because if not, we're all going to drift apart. Like the world right now is chaotic and is drawing us away from each other. Um, and so what if, what do we, what like sort of like covenant do we need to make with one another to say, hey, we are in this, we are a family, we're going to love one another. And with whatever avenues we have, we're going to do that. Um, so for us, we do like a YouTube service and a lot of midweek kind of gatherings like this on Google Meet or whatever, trying to like, keep that connection alive. And I do think at some point we'll be able to slowly gradually go back to in-person stuff. Um, but I think we have to like really, really root ourselves in that deeper connection of like, 
I see you on a screen, and I know that's not the same as seeing you in person, but in my soul and my gut, I'm gonna choose to like hold you as a person and your soul and pray for you and like be connected and know and see the image of God in you, um, even if I can't see it in person. Is that, is that kind of an answer? I'm, I mean, I'm curious. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, you know, it's 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 a big experiment, right? Like, it's it's one of those, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Um, I apologize in advance. Please forgive me. But this had this goes to the leaders who thought it was a good idea to take away, um, you know, in person visits at jails. Because now, guess what? Look at the world you live in, right? You took it away from people who you know, regardless of why they're there, they're still people and they still have relationships and they still have bonds and ties. And you tried to fracture it. And now we're all in the same boat, right? Where, you know, a, God forbid, a, a loved one ends up in the hospital. I can't go and see them. And I think that that's kind of the thing that we have to really be clear and understanding on is now we're reduced to the things that we used as forms of control to maintain some some semblance of power and now we don't have any power and so i commend you for just acknowledging and saying you know what safety comes first in this time but how do we work within it how do we create how do we innovate in our connection with building bonds and how do we explore it and i think it's an experiment it is an experiment it's it's crafting kind of the boundaries you need for this to be what people can can utilize at the end of the day right is is for them to be able to use but how do you give the boundaries or create the framework right like when you think of a church it has to have pews and it has to have acoustics and it has to be able to house people in a certain capacity and i think now we have technology and we have the means in our mind to create those practices to form out those walls to give those stained glass you know what is it that we want to see and how do we want to see it to give people the interaction of feeling included to feel a part of and to belong to something. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I really think it's in the want more so than the how, right? Like if you have the yeah. want to do it, the, then how it happens will come about, but it will have to be in your willingness and openness and acceptance of kind of submitting to the crisis at hand. Cause this is a crisis, right? Like, it is an ongoing crisis. I, I've talked to, you know, my colleagues and we responded as a crisis. And now it's giving people space to adapt to a new crisis. This is the new state of the world. This is the new norm, a crisis state. And I think that you're taking that by, you know, not dismissing and minimizing anything. You're really owning it and you're really trying to figure it out. And, I, you know, like to me, one of the best ways when we have these large facilitations is to use the framework of whatever platform we're using to build out the rules of engagement and to constantly repurpose it. Whether that's saying, okay, everybody who puts your name in the chat, now I'm going to copy and paste it. So this is the order of discussion moving forward. And you don't have to, to, you know, say anything, but now we have order, right? Because that's the biggest thing when you're on the zoom is I say something, you say something and I've cut you off. Right. And, Zoom doesn't have the bandwidth to hear 20 voices at once. It can literally only hear one person at a time. So how do I give you the platform to say, we're going to share the mic? Well, let's have order. Let's say we're going to follow this. And if you say something, you say something. If you don't, you don't. So with that, I'll fluent. Step up to the mic. 
And yeah, I think I, I, that's. <laughs> all right, Chris, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You're up. Um, I think. I guess because I think this is really kind of the beauty of where we are right now is that it's breaking down like the fundamentals of what it means to be in relationship with people. Um, like if you have a, a pen pal relationship, it's a relationship because of the intentionality where someone is allocating time, not just to read your message, but also to allocating time to send a message to you intentionally on purpose um, without proximity. Um, and we're, we're there right now. Like, like God is like, like is in a relationship with me because of my intention to him and his attention, intention to me. Um, not just the attention. Right. And, and what we get to see now is that community, like you said, right. It has to be sought, right. It ha we have to seek that community. It has to be on purpose, it has to be intentional. It, we, it's taken what we've, what, what, what's happened is the, the substitute, um, has been taken away. So now you have to do it on purpose, um, for you to call it community. And it's like the same way that a building has to house the, the souls in it. Um, the agreement in the community has to be big enough to house the, the community that it wants to include right and so even if the if it's a growing uh group a growing congregation right that agreement those agreements between um one another has to be big enough to welcome other people in and it doesn't have you know doesn't have much to do with you know how many times we meet um virtually right it it matters more you know what is the that intention look like um, do we make time for each other to not be oblivious or ignorant to what's happening in each other's lives, right? It's like, I say, you know, I have people who, you know, were coworkers or people who were friends. And when I see them, you know, post, right, um, contra like, just like everyday things, and now we don't live in an everyday world, like where they're not reading the room where they don't have a pulse, you know, they don't have a beat on the pulse of what's happening in the world right now. Um, it lets me know where they are in my community um, just by their intention. Um, and again, right. It's not me vilifying them, but it's where they want to, right. It tells me about their intention to be a part of what's happening and lifting voices and lifting, uh, bringing awareness to what's going on at the same time. When I see someone post, you know, a video of violence, right? It still lets me know, you know, where their intention is. Um, even if it's, you know, even if it's misguided um, and and whether they, it matters to them, you know, what other people are consuming when they, you know, put it out there. Um, and so I think it's a, I think we're in a, I think a really uh, beautiful spot right now um, because, the people that want to know have to learn about it. <laughs> you know, it's not just going to come to you on accident. Um, you could, you, and there's no excuse for why you don't know what's happening um, to the marginalized people in the, um, in the world. No, definitely. I mean, you know, there's, there's some, some excuse. There is, there's always, somebody always got it. They can find it. They're very, people are creative. And I, you know what? I'm a, 
you know, there's something that I'm being creative. I want to, I want to, I want to say something that Chris Scott said that has been reoccurring because I'm, I mean, it even touches back on last week when it, when we talking with, um, we're talking, was it Seth? So when Seth, when Seth had brought up the idea of forgiveness, right. And like that ability to let go. Right. And like, really think about that. Like he, he touched on that and it was then connected to me and hearing Chris Scott say having grace, right. Having grace in a moment of, of like, how do I process this with a level of grace? Right. How do I sift through my anger to, to engage a gracefulness and how I'm able to connect with the people who will make those excuses as to why they don't know. Right. There's that, that thread, right. From forgiveness to grace, to still being able to allow those people to say those excuses, to let them kind of fester in what they need to do of ignorance, to then say, hey, guess what? There's people suffering. There's people going through things. And without me beating you over the head with it, without me creating a divisive line between you and me, I need to engage you in some practice of love so I can open your mind to the atrocities that are plaguing us all as a collective, right? Right, like me, I'm not mad at them. It's like if somebody don't flush the toilet, like I'm offended a little bit, but I'm gonna flush the toilet anyway and do what I gotta do. You know, it's like, I'm not gonna say, oh man, you are not in my family anymore. I'm not gonna disown nobody. You know, they not removed for the community. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna hold on to it in that sense, but like, you know, if you don't flush the toilet, you gotta, you gotta hear something. I mean, Somebody for real. Got- I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm trying to get people accustomed to the love language, right? Like if I need yeah. to say it in a heated fashion and you need and I feel like you need this spice, then you need to we I need to coach you up right. and build you up to get ready to take this spice, right? Right. I need, I need that grace you. also, yeah. right? Exactly. Right. Grace, it, it grace, grace and spice, man. Like right, you didn't fuss the toilet. There, there's a gracefulness in the spice. That's the thing that to me is 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 lost. You you can't yeah, lose yeah, the nuance sure. of passion and the the energy like compassion right, and grace isn't limited to just saying I can't be angry, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean I can't have to go through I can't go through the motions, right? I have to go through the motions. And as we are a collective, I think it's important for us to give space to not feel threatened or to not feel like there's a there's a possibility of a negative from someone going through the motions and us witnessing it and experiencing it with them. And so, you know, I just feel like people gonna make them excuses but it also highlights what i like to bring up in connection to we go from the practice of how we engage with worship in the church but then chris scott what do you see as kind of the way we move forward in this political structure and this this you know the election season that we're in right now like how do you see that playing a role whether it be for yourself or within the church or your congregation, like what are the different things that you perceive as, well, how do we move forward? Oh man, I could talk politics. Uh, yes, he can. I definitely, I feel like there's a couple of times like June, like, like nod her head or said something. I, have, I just haven't heard from you in a moment. Um, if, if, I know. If, there's so many different stuff that I just want to jump in. <laughs> Can I shift that question? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, where have you like experienced community in this time? We were talking about like connection and how to stay connected and all that. I'd be I'd be glad to talk politics and um, tell people how to vote. <laughs> but 
I'd love to hear, no, like, where, where are you finding community right now? Right now, I've been um, I've been spending a lot of time with a group uh, called We the Movement. It's um, it's a Black Lives Matters Black Life Matters based um, march and protest group. So um, I would say, if not every week, then every other week, I'm downtown at City Hall, and you start to see other or grassroots organizations come together, and you start to make friends not just oh you're only a part of this movement or your your organization has this kind of name so only hang out with this no you see everyone joining and banding together um but thank you so much for asking i appreciate that um real quick i just wanted to to add a little tidbit that i know that sin had said something about um the interpretation and interpreting the word of god and Chris, I wanted to know what are your thoughts on. I know some people, some may have different interpretations, but I think it really comes down to the application. Like, how can you see the life of Jesus throughout the lives of others? And I, I digress. <laughs> I lost where else. <laughs> Maybe like, a, how do I interpretate, interpretate, interpret? Uh... No, you're right. I, I the or, what do you call it? The orthodoxy versus orthopraxy, like Tell right you. practice. Yeah, that that's where things matter. Like, who cares if you can parse a Greek verb ending? Um, but what does your love look like in practice? Like, I think that's where uh, we we should interpret these ancient, complicated texts through the lens of love and loving one another and love like you know what love looks like 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 going back to like the lgbt community like suicide rate is like i think it's like three times as high amongst lgbt youth as it is straight youth and so okay so some of that is because the church has excluded has villainized has um marginalized has like all that stuff to that community so okay that doesn't look like love like okay so we, we gotta at least rethink this like what does a loving position. God is love, right? That's his, like that's one of my favorite verses because it's like it sums it all up real well. Um, what does it look like to love? And so then, how do we go back to these texts that were written in specific context with specific things? Um, and so I'm way more interested in like people expressing and living into and receiving and giving genuine Christ-like love than I am in them understanding transubstantiation like at the end of the day or whatever the weird theological idea is like um so i don't know if that is all, at all a response to <laughs> your point but i'm glad you're getting like what you're experiencing actually in uh some of the activism is community in practice like or that you're finding connection as you're doing the work as you're trying to reflect love and justice in the world you're connecting to other people that's beautiful Thank you. And I do want to mention that I grew up in Hayward, California. And so that's where I really first got my sense of community at. And um, I moved. Part of the Bay. I know. I know. Oh, goodness. Um, I moved to Las Vegas only to come back for for college. And then I went to a, a really uh, wonderful community um, group of of on fire Jesus followers at Blazing Fire Church. And it's 
all around the Tri-Valley. So they've been in Pleasanton, they've been in Dublin, but to answer your question on the spiritual aspect, that's where I would say my heart is anchored mm -hmm. in community or has gotten that anchor. I've been to that church. Um, yeah, actually I, I, I went to college in Hayward. I spent a lot of time in Hayward. It's a, like, I, I love that city. Yeah. What, what, uh, I lived in Vegas too for a little bit. It's kind of cool. Vegas is a crazy town. Uh, it sure is, 24-7. Had to get out. LA's even crazier. Uh-huh. <laughs> Words um, to all the complicated places we live in. Shout out to, to all the homes, because it's, it's really home at the end of the day. You know, some homes we got to leave, some homes we stay. It's choices and decisions, everybody. That's what it is. Uh, I like what you said, though. It's, it's not the theory, it's the practice, right? Like, I, I'm big on martial arts. Martial arts is, is my religion, right? And in, in in time, the refinement of martial arts is explored through the execution and the experiences of others with martial arts, right? It's the actual practice and then having to execute on that practice when the time comes and you find in time, not everything's going to make it to the next phase of life, right? Some things will reign supreme and some things will be left off to the wayside as a moment in history. And I think that's kind of how... Um, the bible the word of god is in the sense that as we move forward and we evolve we have to evolve the words and the practice of those words to match where we're at right we're not perfect they're not it's not about the perfection it's about the practice right going back to what we've said many times before the perfection is in the practice it's not in being per perfect right you can never be perfect but you can practice perfectly right and practice perfectly is just consistent right being disciplined being religious you see all these words all kind of circle around each other these double entendres but it's the truth in the matter of of kind of having faith right your faith is a practice that you refine it's an engagement it's a relationship relationships are practiced within themselves of communication comprehension the context these are things that oftentimes we try to separate and and you know as i've said before like you know i don't identify as christian but that don't stop me from loving caring and understanding the word of god or understanding others concern love and need and worship like there's no judgment it's more so about how do we build maintain community how do we uplift and strengthen people and so when i hear you say that it's so important for me to hear because you know i i do have my relationship to you know kind of the orthodox religion and the kind of structures that befall when we're introducing faith and what that love looks like because it is a love right it's just how do we engage that love is this a healthy practice or is this a practice that is a power dynamic right and i think that you're very much careful on you know i mean you come from punk rock how could you not be the dude who's like ah, oh, we about to we about to tear it up and change it it's about to be different we got to push against right what's more punk rock than that it's the idea of pushing against the status quo it's the idea of saying like you know what well, we're more complex and we're more nuanced and we're so many layers and those things need to be explored and show up and i think that you know hearing that that's what you're doing at you know oak life i mean that's kind of like People need it, right? People need that space, you know. And I think that that's amazing that you you kind of you kind of have that. But I'm also interested in like, what is that? You know, is this a passive worship or is this an active worship, right? Is this happening just amongst you and your your coven of people, or is this something that you carry out into the community and say, you know, these are the ways we practice with 
our global world, our communal world, our neighbors, our, you know, the infrastructures that we're all a part of, the communities we show up in. Like, what is that? Is that, do you think that's kind of where you find yourself with your practice of worship is in taking it further than just us meeting for this moment? And how do we explore and practice it every day? Or is it just like, you know, there's a time and place and let's maintain some boundaries. Uh, so the question, like, is it something that like it's more personal or public? Yeah. Is or that... is it is it a is it a thing where it's it's more personal or do you look at it as a as a place for activism? Right. Like, do you look at it as a place of engagement around kind of the world we're in, the current climate? You know, we're taught we we started off the conversation about, you know, kind of the atrocities that have taken place in Wisconsin. But that also highlights kind of the political nature and world that we're in. That also highlights kind of, you know, you, you brought up kind of the mental health aspect and people feeling belonging. And then they think their escape is to kind of commit a tragedy. Right. Like they, they lose their life because they feel like they don't have a place or they don't feel like they can be a part of a space. And so does your practice in faith with the space you've created, the community you're cultivating, is it an activism or is it, you know, what this is, this is just in the sense of decompression and this is the sense of processing and you choose the determination of how you kind of execute your own will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a good question. Uh, I hope it's a both end. I hope it's, um, uh, you know, I, I, like I, I did a bunch of earlier and like the, my faith development, I read a lot of mother Teresa and she talks a lot about the need for, um, like action and retreat, like, and that we as humans need that. Actually, I've been a part of a lot of activist circles and that's a big thing. Burnout is huge. Like you can only, the injustice of the world is beyond what any one person can hold. So you got to do your part and then you got to go do self-care. You got to recharge. You got to connect to something bigger than you. You got to like be. Um, and so I hope it's a both end. Actually, the model of Oak Life, the imagery has been of an oak tree that has roots and branches. We go deep together, we like get rooted, we find nutrients, um, whether that's through like spiritual practice or just community and togetherness. Um, and we go out together, we provide perch and shade to the community, like people need it. We hopefully uh, grow fruit that can feed and nourish others. We drop seeds that bring new life other places. So that kind of flow is like, that's the whole thing. I think that's a, and that's not just a religious thing, that's a human thing. I think we all need that. Like if you're not engaged in some sort of service of others, in generosity financially or uh, concern for the poor, whatever the thing is, um, you're not a fully alive human. And if you're not also doing the work of self-care, self-reflection, growing your own like process, like uh, attending to your own wounds, you're missing out too. You're out of balance. Um, so I'd, I hope it's at both end. And uh, there's actually of all the churches I've been a part of. Um, and I, I'm like, I know I'm like a pastor at Oak Life, but I actually don't like, I'm not that much in control. Like most of the cool stuff that happens is not me. And that's the point. That's beautiful. It's like this community led thing, but there's a lot going on in the community. We have a community justice team. Um, that's like, we have a racial advisory committee. Um, we give away every third Sunday, like our offering to a different nonprofit. We've done LO a couple times actually. Um, and so there's a lot of that stuff going on. There's always room for more. Um, and I hope we can do more, but, uh, there's, yeah, I hope it's a both end. Cause we, you need both. I think at least I do. I can oh, speak for myself. No, I, I mean, I, you know, not to 
kind of beat a dead horse, but you're right. Like we talked about it last week. We talked about rest, right? Like rest. Rest is a big thing, right? Actually, I we talked about, talking three about it every I think we're talking about it every week. All right, you know what? This is the practice and the discipline, right? Say had brought it up and it was the cocoonism, and rest is a big piece of being in the cocoon, right? Like those vital moments for nutrients to heal, you know, like for me, you know, it's it's one thing when I have a dream and I feel rested in it. It's another thing when I'm panicking, I'm running around and I'm like trying to survive a dream. And I think that rest is essential because, I mean, come on, like even the idea of community, right? Like you said, belonging to something bigger than, than yourself, right? It don't, it don't have to be God. It could be your child. It could be a garden. It could be something outside of yourself, whatever you manifest it to be. But it's important because we're still in this, like, you might feel alone. You might feel isolated. You might feel jaded. And I feel that. I understand it. I have my moments every day. I've been in service to the community for more than half my life. I've been doing this since I was a little fruit off the tree. Right. And I think that when you say get rooted, right, like be planted, be grounded, right, be be in the earth, because there's something about having something that brings you back down to a center, bringing you back down to something that's stable, right? Like none of us were born with wings. We haven't evolved to that point yet. So as a practice, it is good to kind of plant yourself firmly where you are and to be in that. And I think there's nothing more present than having something that exists outside yourself that you answer to, that you respond to, right? I mean, work can be that, but I I would push anyone listening to really think about it being beyond work, right? Think about having a plant that you talk to positively every day. Think about having something that, you know, maybe it's, it's your child and having that extra moment to have an interaction on a more focused, concentrated level for their well-being and their nurturing just with the energy you bring to them, right? There's so many ways to explore that outside of yourself what that element looks like what that is and i think it's important because when you do for yourself and you only do for yourself you will oftentimes find out you're not an island somehow some way as i've seen many many times the connection of the world will people pop up on you and it's not to to push you into the idea i'm not sitting there trying to like threaten you into it it's this as a as my care for you exists even if I don't know you, I have to let it be known. Like I've seen it happen. It's going to happen. I've heard the stories of others and they told me to tell you, right? Like it's okay to be a part of something. It's okay to care. And there's nothing wrong with what you've been through. We can get through it together if you choose to. So, you know, with that part, kind of the togetherness and the, the, you painting the picture of like, you in the practice of worship and then how does that practice exist outside of your place of worship that brings me to kind of you know where we as people intersect on another level of kind of faith right we have a faith system within politics right it's not to say that they're deities and they're gods but we have faith that we appoint someone to a position to carry out on certain issues and certain topics and certain things and so i'm interested because you know you sidestep it the first time but this time i really want to know where where does your vision for politics exist and how do you how do you maintain that because that can be exhausting in itself yeah there's so many ways to answer that question because it's a huge discussion but uh generally i'll say that as a christ follower my alliance 
is to that. And so uh, if it wasn't for that, my politics would be so different. Like I think I probably would have been uh, more moderate or conservative, but it's because of Jesus that I've been like, I, I have to care about those in the margins. Like, um, and I have to rethink money and power and all of it. Um, again, that like my, my guy that I'm trying to emulate was executed, was murdered at the hands of the empire. And so the fundamental power structures of my faith are a critique of empire and um, a constant uh, inclusion of the outsider. Um, and so moving my politics, like the underlying values are things like love, compassion, equity, um, of, of seeing the other with love. Um, so I don't think if anybody tries to peg Christianity into one of the two parties that we have, uh, they're wrong. So fundamentally, I think Christianity transcends all that. Um, that said, like the deeper values are, yeah, like how do we love those in the margins? How do we care for like the Old Testament categories, the widow, the immigrant, and the orphan? Like, so my voting, my uh, selection of candidates should be filtered through, is this person going to help those people? And we might have different language for those categories nowadays, but like that's where it starts. That's a starting point. It's not, how does this person benefit my 501, uh, 401k or like my own security? It has to be those who are most vulnerable. Um, and so that's where the starting point is. Right now, I mean, generally speaking, I, f I think it's a mixed bag between the parties, but I would say it seems pretty, at the same time, clear that like the Democrats have more to offer for those categories, though they're flawed. And I don't think like Jesus is tied to that party by any means. Um, I tend to vote left. Um, and so a lot of times, like with a lot of grief in my heart, because I'm like, oh, this person, I don't trust them either. Like, um, and I have a fundamental distrust of politics. I was in a jogging club for a while and there's a, a dear friend of mine who is a campaign manager for a local politician. And, uh, she was like, have you ever thought about running for politics? I was like, don't ever ask me that question to get in. Cause we will never be friends. Like I will never, ever, ever go down that road. That's like, um, so maybe next to the judgment of the excessively wealthy, I have a judgment of the political class. Um, though they are humans and I do believe they deserve grace and love and compassion, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, underlying value. I need to be concerned about those who are most vulnerable. My politics has to be informed by that. Um, not my own well-being exclusively. And, uh, and then just personally, yeah, I think we have a joke of a president and, uh, he goes against everything that I believe in so many, in so many ways. And, has exploited Jesus and Christians, has just leveraged American Christianity and like completely, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't even have words because uh, he's done so much damage to the, the image, the reputation of Jesus's people. Um, and it grieves me. I think it was like 80% of evangelicals, white evangelicals voted for him and right, Republican or Democrat, you, you get to vote for who you, you want to vote for. But like, there's so much hypocrisy in the stated values of those communities. And then their blind allegiance to this person who's clearly um, an ideologue, megalomaniac, 
and uh, he's antithetical to Jesus to me. Trump is antithetical to Jesus. He's, he's the opposite image in the world of what Jesus is supposed to be. Um, so I think it'd be best for the country if he's not our president. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 feel, I feel where you're coming from. I mean, recently it was in the news. I don't know if anybody's aware, but um, kind of how Trump was able to gain a lot of that faith base was due to a situation and circumstances of a very big leader within the faith community and their need to handle a very touchy situation of a personal matter, right? And you're you're being way too uh, PC. This person go ahead. has yeah. sex scandals. They're a, a leader of an evangelical movement and bad of their reputation. And Trump's lawyer probably compromised or blackmailed them and got his support, Jerry Falwell Jr., who is also so problematic in so many ways. And this week he he had his fall from grace. I hope he I hope he does okay. Like I I hope he's okay, well, but it's it's poetic irony in some ways. Well, what I was trying to hint at was like you know for me personally, the views expressed in this moment aren't that reflective of lyrical ones or any of his affiliates or sponsors or future sponsors. But I do come from a perspective of you know having the openness and a dialogue around a person's personal life and their choices and how they choose to engage in relationships on an intimate matter. And I think that, you know, as this these individuals who were tied to Trump because of their own personal choices and endeavors felt an obligation because of them trying to maintain like this facade. Right. Trying to maintain this imagery in the public. Right. We don't want to be seen as we did something wrong or we don't want to be seen as we did something foul or corrupt. And to me, the thing is, what more is human what more is honest than owning it and living and working through it right to having an understanding but i get it right we we are often at at times at the at the mercy of the crowd but the crowd is people at the end of the day and we don't we don't earn anything by doing a disservice with truth or or kind of the fallacies or the lie and i think in this moment i just want people to really be clear like to me, I don't hold no weight in what you do on your own time and how you live and what you decide to do and how you choose to 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 explore your relationship in an intimate level. Right. What that looks like, what that is, that's for you to live and for you to have and to know that that's kind of how you were leveraged to being in a position where now you have to support my guy, Donnie T, Donnie T Rumpum, Rumpum Pump Pump. Right. He. He gained favor because you felt like you slipped up and messed up instead of being like, you know what? Some empires got to fall down because to me, it was it was almost imperial how we got to protect our equity and we have to protect our social clout and what we have built up in the public eye because we can't be our true self. We can't be our authentic self. We can't have space for that. Right. We can't we can't have a moment because, I mean, to me, I always look at it, especially in politics. And it's funny enough, you say that. When you choose to be a public person, a public public figure, you have to be ready and willing to have your privacy explored, scrutinized and criticized. And I think no one is beyond that. And yeah, I mean, who who knows? It could have been a couple pictures leak and we move on with our life in a week. Right. We talk our mess. We get online and we hype it up and we make fun of. But in reality, the way the world works, come on. We would have been on to the next thing and you could have absolved yourself from a legacy and a history where this four years in time 
has been one of the most dynamic, one of the most intense, one of the, and you are now a, a complicit, you're, you're a colluded artist in this. Like you, you have some sense of responsibility to what is taking place. And I think that, you know, just kind of that whole dynamic, that multi-layer enchilada of like so much sauce, so much meat, haha, and cheese and whatever else tortillas you want to throw in there. But it's the fact that this is a situation that to me, when you own who you are and you explore honestly and openly, there's nothing to be left discovered, right? There's a responsibility you owe to the people who place faith in you, who back you to now back this other donnie t donnie pump 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 right you 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 owe a responsibility to those people because now look at where we are like you know i just want to put that out there to those that have churches or places of worship or belong to synagogues or mosque and you decide to travel and to, to trying to reach people i suggest you reach some of the poorest places in the united states and start there but that's you know that's a conversation for a different time a different day but I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in the idea of like, when did you when did you decide that like, OK, I'm going to be an active participant in the political political infrastructure? Because not everybody is. Right. So what to you gives you the sense of, you know what, I'm still I still got a I got a stake in this. Right. I got I got some hope or I have some something, some equity, some stock in it. Um. I think it's this, it's been the whole process. Like to be a Christian is a political act. Like you can't, um, again, there's no party alliance, but love has action. And one of the ways we act in our world is how we vote, how we purchase, how we operate in the world. And so I don't think there can be a separation. Those who want to separate it, I think it's usually for their own comfort. Like they want to keep it private or whatever um, because the status quo is working for them. Um, like I remember like early on learning like, oh, largely speaking, black church has always been political. Um, the white churches that don't want to talk politics because they don't need to. The status quo is working for them fine. Um, and so I, I think the black church has it right. Like if we're going to talk about how to love people, we got to talk about what that looks like in this context, in this day with this ballot and these candidates. Like how do we do that well? And I, I, I want to go back to the... Um, I know you, you, you've threaded the needle well, and you've actually added tons of nuance to the foul wall situation, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, and my, my issue is that this person has been an advocate for values and has hurt people projecting those mm -hmm. values um, while living a completely hypocritical life personally. And that just like as a human just makes me want to fight him. <laughs> Not that I'm a fighter. I'm, I've learned some MMA stuff from and some martial arts stuff from Greg. Um, but that's my extent of like all that. But it's like, come on, man. Like you were, you led this institution that explicitly forbid same-sex marriage and you expelled people who slipped up. And I, I appreciate your like sentiment of like, let's just be honest. Let's be fully open and like learn together as humans and, like process this all and not hide stuff. Cause that's where the danger is. Um, but he's perpetuated all that. And then backstory for the last 15 years has all this stuff going on. And that just, I pray for him. I hope he's okay. I hope he and his family are okay and all that. But at the same time, I'm not as soft. And at this moment, at least, you know, we talk no, about I the, the, yeah, 
I feel you. We can't hug for more than 10 seconds. It's a problem. I'm going to get kicked out of school. <laughs> you tripping, bro. No dancing. Now, look, come no on, no dancing. dancing. Come yeah. on. Like, I ain't saying I got to, you know, if I got some restraint, let me restrain myself. Like, come on, let's have a conversation. Let's really talk about it. But in this sense, it's like, like I said, when you put yourself in that position, you owe something to the people who supported you in getting to that position, right? You yeah, owe something yeah. to the people who invested or put money stock energy resources time into who you are to get to this place that we care about what you have to say that we allow you to create these systems and these rules and create whatever little power structures that you have like you owe it to the people and the thing is is that you know it's not beyond me that's why i wear a mask because my face is not for sale who i am is not something that i chose to to co-op for the public right like i need my privacy i need to retreat i need to have my place where i can just be myself and i could take the mask off and be someone else and i think that in this society in this world as i always push for privacy i always push for anonymity it's not to say that i'm against community i can be for community in many capacities but when it comes to the public that is a different relationship that takes on a different connotation and when you have this man who has an audience who has people who are willing to follow his word and then he uses that for a political structure political gain because of his own shortcomings in his personal life that's a problem we gotta it's not the problem what you did it's the problem of how did you get other people involved and complicit to your what you had going on so you know it's it's, it's i don't want to i don't want to demonize or vilify people because that's the thing that we often like to do but I can be angry and scrutinize your actions because it's led to this outcome, right? Like I even looked at his speech in the, the, the original Republic National Convention and it was like, now it has whole new meaning because of this context. Now his energy, like he was really like, uh, you know, uh, I just, my phone's ringing. Ah, my phone's ringing. Hold on. And I'm like, you're in front of, a whole audience and you're struggling to have any conviction any type of like energy of like this is what we need to do and then your phone rings come on this is where we at right now so you know to those that know those that don't check it out get involved look it up it's real but um what what i'm interested in is, is kind of exploring uh the idea of like um how do you how do you kind of see the separation of church and state right like a person's own identified faith versus a bigger conglomerate whole because i i'm keep it real i come from the other end of the spectrum with the black church and political like how do we form these kind of practices around who we gonna vote for when i look like i'm gonna keep it real i sat in the church they told me who we should vote for and now i look back and i'm like oh here we are 20 some odd years later and this is what they've done they've they've hoodwinked us they've done some buffoonery some as we call it in our some circles some coonery and to me it was like how do how do i reconcile this when the ones who were kind of giving me a place to feel sanctified to feel love and the glory of god are now trying to determine you know what's housing gonna look like what is the economic kind of stakes for you know the communities i live in and are impacted by because there is a tale of two worlds within the church especially in the black community there's the what i like to call african-americans and the blacks 
And with the African-Americans, they often get to go to college and they get to have degrees and they get to look down on us blacks who didn't go to college. You didn't get degrees and don't always come through in the best dress, finest Sundays, you know, kind of pressed in iron gear. So I just want to see your perspective on kind of the multi layers of that. Look, we're about to punch out because my man is a family man and we got a dip. Um, oh, so we're going to have to do Chris, a part two. We, Chris, yeah, Chris, we're going to have to Anytime. get you back sometime. Um, thanks for coming through us in this COVID Gosh. summer. Um, appreciate you. Yeah, it's so good to with us. I, I could keep going. Oh, yeah. um, I wish I could. Like, no, I, no. I, yeah. I, it's, I feel like we're just getting time. We got time. Too. All right. Yeah, yeah, we got time. Um, but I, I'll just say uh, uh, I have all the answers and I'll solve it all for you. <laughs> and uh, you'll have to have me back. And uh, I'm just kidding. I that, man, those are good questions. I love the process and learn from yeah. like you all. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate uh, you, Thinio. It's great to meet you, and uh, Alex, great to see you. Hope you and Always. your people and your community, your house, and everything, your life as well, and be blessed. Supernatural. Yeah, my bad. My man. bad. My bad, Chris. I didn't miss. I missed the cue cards. It was some cue cards, y'all. I, I'm, I apologize to the audience. <laughs> you're good. You're good. But look, look. we now have a, a kind of the cliffhanger, if you will, to uh -huh. the sequel that we will create. <laughs> that will be a sequel. So now that you have this cliffhanger, Chris Scott, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate you being open and honest and letting us explore your life and giving so much to the people. And you know, shout out to Oak Life. Where can people find you? Where can people get involved? How can people get connected to Oak Life? What is the what is the best ways? Yeah, you just check out our website, oaklifechurch.com. Um, and we do Sunday services on YouTube and have lots going on during the week. We have Instagram, all the typical stuff. Uh, when we're not in shelter in place, we meet at a theater in Oakland. Uh, but who knows when that'll be, when we can go back and to Chris, that. Uh, Chris, real quick, what um, what causes are um, you, are you and Oak Life uh, supporting right now in, um, in the East Bay in Oakland? Yeah, tons. Uh, we just shout, uh, supported something. Yeah, yeah, something called Abundant Beginnings, which is um, we just gave to them. Uh, I think it's abundant, abundantbeginnings.org. But they, uh, they do... Um, it's basically like a, a preschool aged program um, led specifically by people of color uh, and teaching values of inclusion of um, racial equity yes. to like the earliest formative yes. years. Um, and it. so thank it's you beautiful. That. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing uh -huh. with us. Thank you. We appreciate you. Have a good yeah, night, brother. We all. love you. Yep. Take care. So as as we see down yeah, there are cool. two of us, right? I I missed the cue card. Um, there was a message that was being given to me, and I was stuck on something else. So, you know, it, it happens. It's lyrical ones. We're learning. It's a growing process. This is a healing community, and you know, I just before we kind of wrap things up for tonight, I just want to put it out there. You know, love yourself. Love the ones you're with. You know, it doesn't always have to look in the in the rudimentary sense of like being available sometimes that means retreating but communicating the space the distance the boundaries that you need so you can heal so you can process so you can be because you know when a person gotta go a person gotta go and we gotta respect that right we might have pressing issues and questions but sometimes we gotta take notes we gotta hold on to those things and we gotta wait for the time and place for it to occur right mm -hmm. exactly that's right so you know and, uh, any, and knowing what you need yeah, knowing what, uh, closing thoughts, man. Knowing what you need 
is the only way that you can communicate them. <laughs> you cannot communicate your needs if you don't know what they are. And, and sometimes you have to then ask, sometimes people need um, people around them, they need others around them to then ask what they need. Um, when it's tough to offer that communication, when it's tough to offer that communication, um, when you haven't asked that question yourself, sometimes you need someone to, to ask it for you. Um, and you know, it's, it's important. I think none of something that none of us needs is, uh, um, to consider ourselves the villain, um, and to think of us at ourselves as the hero in our, in our own book, in our own story, um, and look, and look into what it looks like to um, empower yourself um, and be stronger each day. Um, sometimes being stronger means doing a better job, giving 110% at being still, being slow, being uh, restful. Uh, and sometimes it, it means, you know, learning more, you know, about, you know, how you show up um, for yourself and how you show up for others. Uh, yeah, just, you know, keep at it say that um, if you keep at it you'll learn new things and you'll get better um better exercises for your heart muscle ain't that the truth ain't that the truth and you know just to kind of wrap things up um i'm gonna do this in a in the most uh kind of presenting two sides to the coin right like blood is thicker than water revenge is thicker than blood now, I say that to say this. We can't get lost in that. We got to let go of that. We got to move away from that. And, you know, as we play, as we move further and further into a place of healing and positive change, I just think it's something that's necessary for people to really understand and hold on to, right? Don't become lost in the sauce. Don't get lost in the, I need to vilify, demonize, weaponize. Let me humanize. Let me look at. Let me realize. Let me rationalize. And, you know, with that, it's it's just about time. It's about space. And like Alfluence said, it's about knowing what you need. And so with that, you know, this concludes another episode of Lyrical Ones. Um, we appreciate you. Appreciate yourselves. It's been real. But um, peace out, y'all. Oh, one, one, one thing. One more thing. Shout out to DC Comics for DC Fandom. The new trailers for... for uh, Wonder Woman 1984 and the new the new Batman where he's in there beating folks down talking about vengeance. Remember, Batman didn't 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 do nothing out of love. So remember that as an anti-hero, hero, vigilante, whatever he is, Batman is legit legit for not having no superpowers, but he didn't do nothing out of love, man. Remember that. And that's all I gotta say. Yeah, he loved his mom and his daddy. All right, we out. But they was gone already. That, that, he wasn't that loving love, them. He love wasn't loving them that. It was he misplaced. wasn't loving them and, and it's misplaced. All right, Cross, you're going to have to cut us off because we could do this for All another right, hour. Peace. Peace. 13, we done. Lyrical ones.